Thank you for taking time to listen to this sermon from Hope Church Toronto North. It is our prayer that through this message, you are challenged and encouraged by the Word of God and grow in your love for God and love for others. It is God's desire for us to be members of and regularly participate in a local church under the care of qualified elders. If you are not attending a local church right now, we encourage you to take that step. If you do live in the North York area and are looking for a local church, we invite you to visit us at one of our Sunday morning gatherings to discern if this is the church God is leading you to. read for us uh, Psalm 146. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. Put not your trust in princes, in a son of man in whom there is no salvation. When his breath departs, he returns to the earth. On that very day, his plans perish. Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God, who made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the sojourners. He upholds the widow and the fatherless, but the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. The Lord will reign forever. Your God, O Zion, to all generations. Praise the Lord. Let's pray together. Oh God, we are just so honored to come before your holy throne this morning to worship you because you are worthy of it all. We thank you for your work on the cross, Jesus. We thank you that we can have a hope in being with you eternally, forever, in the presence of a holy God. What an honor and a privilege. And we thank you that you have chosen us before the foundation of the world, Lord. We pray that as we continue now in worship and in learning and in receiving from your spirit, would you just speak through Pastor Chris this morning? You would give him the words that you want to say to us today. Help us to be receptive to your truth, Lord, and would your spirit be moving in this place to help us understand, to open our eyes. And for those who don't know you, Lord, would they just see your holiness and your grace and your love this morning? Jesus, we thank you that to you and from you and through you are all things, and we give you all the glory this morning. In your name we pray, amen. Great, thanks, Sabrina, for reading uh, God's word. If you want to grab your Bible... And open up to Psalm 146, or if you have your phone with you and scroll down to 146 in the Psalms, that would be great. I want to bring you greetings from Hope Church Mississauga, and uh, our church very much loves your church and prays for you often, and it's such a joy just to be able to be with you again this morning And I understand Pastor Marvin is uh, celebrating his son's birthday. He's got some things going on, so I'm so glad to uh, give him some rest today and be able to open up God's Word with you. And so why don't we look at Psalm 146? We won't read it because it's just been read, but you'll notice something as it's talking about 
trusting in a Savior and asking who is our Savior. You know, there's lots of things in this world that uh, we trust in, and we are regularly disappointed. There's lots of things that we trust in that fail us, and it could be uh, anything from, you know, someone just simply saying, yeah, I'll pick you up at five, and they're a no-show. Uh, or maybe you talk to your academic counselor, and they said, yeah, if you just take these classes, you'll complete your program, and you'll be good, only to have them tell you three years later that, oh, you actually have a few more classes in order to graduate. Sorry, York students, if that uh, rings a little too close. Um, you know, sometimes we trust in things that are a little bit bigger, and have a little bit more significance than that, like parachutes, seat belts. Uh, a friend of mine was in an accident, and his seat belt, which was faulty, just snapped in the accident. And thankfully, he lived. Um, but that's not always the case. I remember in 1995, there was a guy who put his full trust in a parachute as he went over Niagara Falls with a jet ski, thinking that if he just pulls that cord, Parachute pops, and I just glide down safely. It didn't pop. Parachute didn't open. It failed him, and he died. They pulled him out of the river later. There's lots of things we trust in. All these things that are horizontally, as we put our trust in things that are just kind of horizontal, as we put our trust in things of this world, uh, they fail us, and we're constantly left disappointed or disillusioned, sometimes dead. And we're constantly going through life looking for saviors, uh, looking for little messiahs that will help relieve us of the pain, help uh, relieve us of the sorrow that we may be going through, help bring some relief to the anxiety that we're experiencing, something that will deliver us, something that will rescue us in our bad situation. For example, we could be tempted to go to weed or to whiskey, thinking that you know, these will wash away all my uh, pain, all my anxiety. These are the very regrets that keep us up at night, but you know, these things, weed and whiskey, they'll just wash it all away, but we find that in the morning we still feel the pain. Sometimes we're deceived into collecting uh, crystals and using manifesting techniques believing that this will save us from a life of worthlessness or meaninglessness, and this, these things will give me the destiny and the significance that I really crave, but they always leave me empty. Uh, sometimes uh, we're tempted to trust in witch doctors uh, who will sage our houses and curse others so that we get the protection or the justice that we really desire only to find out that things only get worse and worse. Sometimes we're tempted to glue uh, little plastic idols on our dashboard or hang rosaries from our rear view, thinking superstitiously that these things will protect us. This will help me get from A to B safely when I drive, and I still get rear-ended. Uh, sometimes I think that, well, I'll just try clubbing, and 
My provocative clothes will emphasize the, th uh, the things I want other people to see, and my cosmetics will hide the things I don't want people to see, and that will get me the love and acceptance that I crave, and it will rescue me from the loneliness I feel in my singleness. But for some reason, every time I drive home from the club, I'm alone still. Sometimes we're tempted to go to the Mandarin or Costco, thinking that buffets and bulk food, that's what's going to take away this anxiety I feel, this, these things I struggle with, the thing that's just kind of playing like a playlist in the back of my mind. Foods, that's what's going to rescue me from this anxiety, but we're left stuffed with shame. Or sometimes we're deceived into thinking that I'll use my family's food money for the lottery, trusting that that's what's going to save me from poverty, that's what's going to save me from hard work, the thing I just kind of want to avoid. And it's going to conveniently and instantly give me the wealth that I long for, the security that I look for, only to walk away empty-handed again and again, thinking it's going, to, it's going to be different next time. It's going to be different next time. There's lots of things that we trust in in this world. There's lots of things that fail us again and again, they overpromise and underdeliver. These are things that just don't come through and that leave us, they leave us disappointed, disillusioned, and literally sometimes dead. And that's why we have Psalm 146. This is why God in his kindness gives us this song to help spare us the grief and the sorrow of running after all sorts of these little false messiahs, these little saviors that have all these promises but don't, don't actually come through. And it forces us to ask the key question in our day-to-day -day life, but then overall in our whole life, who am I trusting in? Who do I go to when I'm anxious? Where do I go when I feel the pain and the pressure who is my Savior? And thankfully, this answers the question for us. Now, if you answer that question, you know already, already it's not the Lord. Well, then you need to trade up because whatever you're holding on to is going to be like concrete and you're going to sink. It's not going to fulfill. And this psalm reminds us of how when we go to the Lord, when we let go of the thing we're holding on to and trust in the Lord and hold on to him, that he is the one who can truly carry us. Just as we sang, through the fire, through the waters, through the flood. He's the one who is able to truly save us and satisfy us, not only in this life and the thing you're going through right now, but even into the next I mean, that's a savior. That's what we want. We just don't want something like a quick fix here for the weekend or this coming November. We want something and someone that will save and satisfy and carry us through not just this life, but right into the next. And that's what we hear in Psalm 146. So you can draw your eyes down there and you'll notice, if you're taking notes, this is the first point, that there is a call to sing praises to the Lord. There is a call to sing praises to the Lord. The psalmist is trying to get our eyes up 
get them up, up onto the Lord and off the thing that we're looking at down here so that we get the right perspective. And the first thing you'll notice is that there is a, it's actually a command, praise the Lord. Now, it's hard to see this in English, but that's actually plural. So it would be like us being able to tell one another, all of us together, y'all praise the Lord, all of us. And then you'll notice the next line, it says, praise the Lord, oh my soul. And it shifts from a call for the congregation to praise the Lord to me as a personal worshiper right there in the pew saying, yes, I'm going to praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, oh my soul. And I actually start commanding and speaking to my own heart because I know like life, life hurts. There's some hard stuff. Even as you're coming into church today, like maybe there was arguments. Maybe someone like tailgated you. Maybe something happened at home. There's all sorts of stuff that happens and you haven't even got to church yet. And this is why there is a call. Let's praise the Lord. And then a commitment to say, yes, yes, Chris, praise the Lord, oh my soul. And there's that quick commitment that follows in verse two. I will praise the Lord. I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have been. Despite how I'm feeling. This is just so important in our day. In our culture, in our society, there's a trend right now where feelings actually trump what is true. And feelings actually determine what is most true. So if you don't feel like praising the Lord, well, that's, that's most true, and you should probably just go with that feeling, which is completely contrary to what's being said here. But you know how this works in our culture right now. What you feel most strongly is what is most true of you. And to hinder the expression of what you feel most is a form of oppression and cruelty. But what's interesting is that that is actually one of the worst forms of oppression and cruelty. When you tell someone to tie their identity to their emotions, it's like wrapping and being chained to a piece of driftwood on the ocean in which you feel every high and low wave of feelings and emotions in a stormy gale or in the stagnant, breathless, windless, dark night of the soul. That's torture. Instead, what the psalmist and what God calls us back to is saying, those emotions, those are good gifts. I gave those to you but they're not to lead you. I'm to lead you with the word. God gave us emotions because he has emotions and we're made in his image. And so we're to feel in ways that he feels in perfect fit or matching or in accordance with his character and his word. His truth shapes our emotions. His truth governs and guides our emotions so that our emotions, we actually learn to grow, to love what is good and to hate what is evil, to love what he loves, and to hate what he hates. And if we don't have his word guiding that, it gets all muddled, and we actually begin to love and treasure things that are not good. But the word of God spares us from this trap that is so prevalent 
Now, some of you drove here uh, on your way to church, and I don't know if you've ever had that engine light pop up on your dashboard. Uh, I have one in my van. I've learned to ignore, sadly. Um, my mechanic is downstairs. Don't tell him that. Uh, but the reality is that those engine lights, they pop on your dashboard when something's going on under the hood. But it just, it's just this light of an engine. You're like, I have no idea what that means. It's just this light. And that, it just tells you something's going on. You got to go check it out. You got to reach over to the glove compartment or the console and pull out that thing called a manual. And you open that up, and then it actually walks through. Okay, this could be happening, this could be happening, go see your mechanic. Well, that is what God's word is. When emotions go off, emotions are like the engine light. I don't know exactly what's going on. I don't know why I feel so passionate about this or angry about that or joyful about this. I need to look under the hood. What is going on? And God's word is the manual that's going to guide you into understanding and discerning your emotions and to bring them back into conformity with his truth so the engine light can go off. And so this is what this psalm is doing. It's calling us. It's lifting our eyes back up to the Lord. It's making sure that we don't get carried away by the things of this world, by our emotions, or any other false hope, any other false God that we can be tempted to run to when we're in the pain when we're in the sorrow, when we're in the trial. And so the psalmist starts out with this call, let's praise the Lord. Let's praise the Lord. He's warning us because we are tempted to trust in other things. And that's really the second point here we see in verse three and four. Well, what happens if I do set aside the manual over here and I do run off and trust into other things and put my hope in other things? And the second point is simply this, it's a fatal choice. It's a fatal choice to trust in man. Verse three says, put not your trust in princes. Uh, princes just means uh, people of high position and authority, power, influence. And so it's understandable why you would think that would be a good option. That would be a good option to trust in someone who's got some power in his side. He's got, he's, he's got ability to make things happen. We've got, we got princes today. Uh, some people uh, put, bank all their hope in politicians. If we just elect the right people, then we'll be able to get laws in place that will fix all the problems in our society. Or sometimes we put our hope in artists and um, actors who in their songs and in their movies are speaking powerful things. They, they have platform. They're able to sell all these different songs and communicate their message so well. Uh, sometimes we put our, our hope in athletes. Uh, they have what, a, what an incredible platform. They, they are so famous. And in their post-game interviews, they start saying a lot of things. And we can put our hope in, okay, maybe if I get that person on my side, then we'll start fixing some stuff. But God tells us, no, don't put your hope in princes. There's nothing inherently wrong with actors or athletes or politicians. But what God is saying is, that don't, don't put your hope in them. That's not what's going to save you. That's not actually what's going to solve the issues of this world. And he lays out two main problems that happen with us 
If we are the Savior, whether I'm trusting in me or I'm trusting in you, the problem is that we're, we're both human. And there's two main problems with that. It says in verse 3 and 4, in verse 3 it says that people are limited. People are limited. That is, we are uh, sons of man. We're the children of Adam. And so Adam was made from the dirt and he has limited capacities. He has uh, limited resources. And so even on my best day, I can only help you so far. I'm going to hit a wall. I, I, I just, I'm finite. I can't help you the way that you need to be helped. And then secondly, not only am I limited, but the problem is, is that people perish as well. It says in verse 4 that his breath departs and he returns to the earth. This is what happened with Adam when he sinned. Uh, he was kicked out of the garden and promised to return dust to dust. You may have heard that. Maybe at a funeral that you were with at present uh, recently. And this is where it comes from. This idea that not only am I, when I'm alive, are my abilities limited, but I got an expiration date. I can't actually fulfill the promises that I've made perpetually. Even when I got married to my wife, Lisa, we promised one another one of the most powerful promises anyone will make while they're alive on earth. I told her that I would love her and cherish her and be faithful to her till death do us part. Because there will be a time when my breath departs. And when I die, I, I can't keep fulfilling that promise. I'm not around to keep those commitments. And so I've fulfilled that promise, and then I'm laid in the grave. And so this is what the psalmist is saying. That's a problem if you're looking for an ultimate savior. I, it can't be me. I'm limited, and I perish. Those are some problems. We need a better savior. We need to look to someone who is able to be faithful, not only in this life, but in the next that will carry us through everything we go through now and then. And thankfully, praise the Lord, hallelujah, God has provided such a Savior. He has provided such a Savior in Jesus Christ alone. And this is our last point. He is our blessed hope. You'll see the psalmist exclaim here in verse 5, blessed, blessed is he whose help is what and where? In the Lord God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God. Blessed here just simply means uh, joyful, glad, happy is the one whose trust is in the Lord, whose hope is in the Lord. He's the one who's leaning on the Lord. And the Lord comes through again and again, and he's full of joy. Now, this doesn't mean that when you put your trust in the Lord, all your problems just melt away. You know, life is just rosy and perfect. No, that's not true at all. You'll remember that Jesus, he was a man of sorrows, well acquainted with grief. And that as Hebrews 2 and Hebrews 5 says that he learned obedience through suffering. And so here's Jesus, I mean, he's perfect, and yet while he was on earth, he suffered, and through the suffering, God used it to mature and foster his faith and grow in righteousness. 
a righteousness, by the way, that he would then in turn share with those who trust in him. And so what's being said here, blessed is the one, happy, joyful is the one who trusts in the Lord. He's not saying that oh, yeah, all your problems go away. It's saying as you go through the trials, as you go through the sorrows and the griefs, there is a river of joy underneath in which you can draw from constantly. As it says in 1 Peter 1, we rejoice while we grieve many sorrows. It's very normal for the believer who's trusting in the Lord to experience this kind of mixed cup of emotions, of feeling joy and grief, peace and distress, all at the same time as we go through this messy Genesis 3 world, at the same time having underneath this well and this aquifer of joy and peace that will never dry up as it carries us through this whole life and into the next. And now God here, as we move from verse 5 to 6, it's fascinating because God knows that we're tempted to trust in other saviors that are going to leave us hanging. And so he wants to convince us to trust him. He wants us to say, let, let me help you trust in me. And so it's almost like he walks us through his resume. So let's check out his CV here. He says here in verse 6, this is the one who made heaven and earth, the sea, and not only those places, but all that is in them. This is the one who keeps faith forever. I mean, can you imagine God responding to a Savior wanted ad or a posting and, and and you're trying to, you're interviewing him as to whether he's the right savior or not. And you just imagine him saying, yeah, yeah, I mean, I can do some things uh, like this planet. I made it. Um, I have all power. And so I'm able to make everything and uh, sustain it all and in control of all things. And so I have like this perfect record of helping everyone that trusts in me, that hires me. And I come through all the time, like every time, everywhere, all the time. I have a perfect record. He's just kind of like, he's, God is trying to lay out for us his resume, and we're left with a question, like, are we going to hire him? Are we going to trust him? Is he a good enough savior? And some of us may not even be convinced yet, and so let's just kind of keep walking through this resume. Verse 7, this is the one who executes justice for the oppressed. He's the one who gives food to the hungry. Are you hungry? This is the one who can provide food. It's the Lord who sets the prisoners free. It's the Lord who opens the eyes of the blind. It's the Lord who lifts up those who are bowed down. It's the Lord who loves the righteous and the Lord who watches over the sojourner and he upholds the widow and the fatherless. But the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. The Lord will reign forever. Now that's a savior right there. That is a savior right there. Now, unfortunately, we don't have time to go through all sorts of Old Testament stories that show and prove that God is a perfect Savior. But we do have time to look at how God settled the matter definitively by sending his son, Jesus Christ, and in so doing, proving that he is the greatest Savior and the fulfillment of Psalm 146. 
And so let's look at these ways of how Jesus proves he's the best savior. As we walk through his resume and what he did in fulfilling this psalm during his life, what did he do? Well, Jesus says that he's, just like it says here in verse six, that the Lord is the maker and creator of all. Jesus also is that. In John 1, verse one to three, it says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, the word being Jesus the Son, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. That means Jesus, God's Son, was co-creator with the Father in the very beginning and made everything out of nothing. So he's the creator. He has all power. But he's also the great promise keeper who keeps faith forever, like it says in verse 6. 2 Corinthians 1 verse 20 says that all the promises of God find their yes and amen in him. That is why it is through him that we utter the amen to God for his glory. God fulfills all of his promises, all his promises in and through his son, Jesus Christ. Which then, when we see that, we're like, wow, he's, he's got 100% fulfillment record. I mean, that's amazing. And it causes us to sing glory, praise, and honor to God. It's right for us to react and respond when we see that kind of saving ability in the faithful record of God and his promise keeping to respond in praise. Let's keep going. We're just getting started here. Jesus proves that he's the perfect savior because he feeds the hungry like no one else. Even though Jesus fed thousands of people during his lifetime, often miraculously, he chose to fast at the end of his life while he was hanging on a cross so that he could make a way to welcome us into the banquet table of his father and sit and feast with him forever. More than that, Jesus himself is the very bread of heaven who has come to earth so that we who are spiritually famished and starving to death might eat of him by faith and live. It's fascinating how the Bible uses all sorts of ways to describe trusting, hoping, expressing faith in. Sometimes the Bible talks about how when you trust in the Lord, it's like, it's like drinking a glass of water or eating bread or resting and resting in someone, leaning up on them. All these different ways and metaphors that the Bible is helping us to describe what it's like to trust in Jesus as Savior. And here's one of them. He is the very bread of heaven that if we eat by faith, that is we trust in him as our only food, he is the one who saves us and satisfies our hunger, our longing for him. We also see that Jesus, he's not only the one who feeds the hungry like no one else, but he's also the one who sets the prisoners free like no one else. Jesus literally rescued people out of prison cells. We think of Peter, we think of Paul. There's all these different people in prison that he literally rescues because they didn't do anything wrong. But he also chose to be personally bound on the cross with our sin and imprisoned into a grave so that he could free us 
from our slavery and imprisonment to sin and death through his work on the cross. Can your Savior do that? Can anything that you're trusting in in this world do that for you? Well, let's keep going. Jesus not only can do that in setting prisoners free, he also proves to be the perfect Savior because he gives sight to the blind, and he gives it like no one else. I mean, Jesus, he's the very Son of God. He's God himself, as we were reading. And so that means he's all-seeing. There isn't anything that Jesus doesn't know. He sees it all, and yet he chose to come and to be Uh, to become a man, but he chose to become to be inside of Mary's womb for nine months where he couldn't see so that he could be born as a man to rescue people who are blind to give them sight and the ability to see. You see how humble the Savior is. It's not like he just kind of like saves us from afar or just throws us a rope hoping we'll grab it. He comes to us He experiences everything we go through and in so doing, takes us with him and through his cross and death and resurrection, he rescues us. But he doesn't just do it distantly. He's so near to us. He comes to us. That's kind of the savior he is. I don't know if you knew this, but there's just like no one in history, not in the Old Testament, no one has ever opened the eyes of the blind. But here is Jesus, when he shows up, he's given sight left, right, and center. I mean, he's just healing people all over the place. But his main goal wasn't simply to give sight to the eyes in our head, but to give sight to the eyes of our heart, that he might cause us to be born again, that he might give us new eyes, that we might see Jesus for who he really is, the Lord and Savior of all. This is the very hand of God. When Jesus was on earth, he said in Luke 7, 22, go and tell John, John was in prison, what you have seen and heard. The blind are receiving sight. The lame walk, lepers are cleansed. The deaf hear, the dead are raised up. The poor have good news preached to them. But he also says in John 3 about spiritual sight, Truly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. We need Jesus. We need Jesus to give us new eyes, to open our eyes so the scales fall off and the pupils are open and spiritually we see Jesus for who he really is, the true Savior. Not only does he give sight to the blind, but Jesus proves he's the perfect savior because he also lifts up the downcast like no one else. In Matthew 12, verse 20, he tells us that Jesus is faithfully caring for those who are like bruised reeds. I don't know if you've ever seen a reed, maybe in the ditch, and they're pretty stiff and they got like this fuzzy stuff on the top. And if it gets bent, it's bent. It's a bruised reed. You don't know exactly, how do you get that thing back up? And sometimes we feel that way. Sometimes we feel so broken, like beyond straightening. We're too broken. Those are the people Jesus loves to come alongside. He is the one who comes alongside the bruised reed, whose faith 
is like a smoldering wick. You've seen those. You've lit in candles. I, I remember as a kid, man, I, I played with fire too much. There's all these candles, and every once in a while you get this, this wick, and, the, and the, the wax is all around it, and it's just, just barely flickering. Like that flame's going to go out any minute. That's, that's like our faith. And Jesus loves to come alongside and fan that flame back into a larger flame that we might be full of hope in him, that our faith would be alivened in him. But not only does this, not only does he come to us right now and be the lifter of our head, as, as the psalmist says. You know, like when you're discouraged and your head's just down, you're just like, I don't know what's going on. And the, the, the Lord Jesus is, like, is the lifter of our head so that we get our eyes up onto him and not focused on our situation and get our eyes locked in on him because he's the one who's actually able to change our situation or change me in the situation. He's the one who can save me. But he doesn't just do that now, in the here and now. He does this in a way that goes beyond this life. He's the one who's not just the lifter of our head in the moment. He's the one who's the lifter of our soul into resurrected life. He's the one, because Jesus rose from the grave, he's the one who's able to take our lives and give us resurrected life and hope. Right now, we've been made alive. We've had new spiritual life resurrected, but Jesus is coming again. And when he does, he will raise us up just like he was raised up and give us a new body just like the new body he has, and we will have resurrected life with him forever. He doesn't just kind of raise us up in the immediate situation here on earth. He raises us up all the way to heaven to be with him forever. This is a great savior. This is one who is like no one else. There's a few more here that he highlights in the psalm. It says that Jesus proves to be a better and greater savior because he's righteous like no one else. And he loves the righteous. Now, we don't start righteous. We start as sinners. But in Romans 5 verse 8, it says that God shows his love for us as sinners, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus fulfills and expresses God's love, how much he loves us before we were even lovable. Jesus makes a way for us to be righteous, not because uh, we did a whole bunch of really good things and have a great resume like God. Our resume is terrible. It's full of sin. And that's why Jesus comes and takes on all of our bad report card, our failing report card, pays its debt on the cross, and then shares with us his perfect report card that has 100% obedience, and he's now sharing that with us so that now, even before we were righteous, he loved us. So that in loving him and responding in faith to him, he now makes us righteous as he is righteous. He shares his righteousness with us as a gift by grace when by faith we trust in him. He's a perfect savior. Well, it says something here in verse nine about how the Lord watches over the sojourners. Does Jesus do that? And he certainly does. He protects the sojourner like no one else. Jesus is the divine immigrant who came from heaven to earth, and he was a sojourner in Egypt as a kid, and even as an adult, he had no place to lay his head. He knew that he was like 
what it was like to live without a home in a foreign land. But he became a sojourner. He left heaven to come here so that we could have a home with him in heaven. That's why he became a sojourner. Ever since Adam and Eve were kicked out of the garden because of their sin, we have also been wandering out in the wilderness because of our sin. But this is why Jesus came out towards us to come get us and bring us home with him. And when we trust in him, it says in 1 Peter 2, 11, that when we trust in Christ, we become sojourners and exiles on earth. So every believer is a sojourner and exile on earth because it says in Philippians 3 that our citizenship is in heaven. I mean, I, I only have one passport. It says, it says that I'm Canadian. But in reality, the Bible says I have, I have a dual passport. And my main primary passport is heaven. I'm just passing through here. I just, I'm in Canada for, I don't know, I don't know how many decades or years or minutes. I don't know how long God's given me here. But this is just a short little passing, a little sojourning journey that I'm on because my main citizenship is in heaven. This is what God does when he saves you. Christ gives you a better citizenship. You, you trade up. You, you, you get a better citizenship. And in the meantime, while we're sojourning on earth, Jesus Christ promises us as we sojourn never to leave us, never to forsake us. He promises to be with us always to the very end of the age, to the very end of our sojourning, at which time then we will finish our journey here and then we'll activate that passport and make good on that heavenly citizenship. This is the great comfort for all of us. But it's not just spiritually speaking. This is true in the here and now. Some of us have come from other places around the world. Some of us are literally sojourning. Some of us are, have immigrated here. And you know that's like when you run into, you're in a new country, there's new laws, there's new culture, uh, sometimes uh, if, if you haven't gotten citizenship or PR yet, sometimes there are certain benefits you can't make use of. It can be confusing and it can be vulnerable and sometimes dangerous. People can take advantage of you. But even there, even now, Jesus promises that he's with us. He never leaves us. He's the one who is able to guide us and lead us, guard us and protect us and provide for us in the moment because he knows what it's like. He's been an immigrant before. He's been a sojourner before. He knows what you're going through. He's able to save you right now as you go through that in this season. But not only that, Jesus is also not only able, like no one else, to protect the sojourner, but he's also the one who is able to sustain the widow and the orphan. Jesus, sometimes we forget that Jesus, his mom, was a single parent. And that Jesus himself was fatherless and orphaned at a young age, maybe when he was a teen or an adolescent. We don't know when his dad passed away. So Jesus knows what it's like to be an orphan, to be at home without a dad. And yet Jesus cared for his mom as a widow his whole life entrusting her to the care of John the Apostle even right at the end of his life when he was out on the cross. 
But even greater than that, Jesus makes a way for all widows to be permanently married again and all orphans to be permanently adopted into a family again. You see, Jesus is the groom of heaven who takes every widow who trusts in him and saves her as part of his bride. And Jesus, the Son of God, takes every orphan who trusts in him and shares his brotherhood with him and saves him and adopts him as a sibling into the family of God. And so God, like no one else, can care for widows and orphans. And lastly here, Jesus proves in verse 9, we'll see here, that he, like no one else, is the only one who can give ultimate justice to the oppressed and ultimate ruin to the wicked. Uh, Jesus did justice and mercy all the days of his life. But not only did Jesus physically free the oppressed during his ministry, like when he rescued people from, out, from underneath the oppressive legalism of the Pharisees, but we also see him rescuing people spiritually from the oppression of their sins by forgiving them and canceling their sin. But it says here that there will be a day when Jesus comes back and he will accomplish ultimate justice. Matthew 25 says, When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne before him will be gathered all the nations and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. We need to see that no one can improve upon the justice that Jesus accomplishes because only Jesus is able to deal with every sin that has ever been committed. Every evil thought, every evil word, every evil action, only Jesus can deal with it, and he deals with it in one of two places. He has either dealt with it already on the cross, in which he took on our sin as our Savior and absorbed all the wrath of God so that those who trust in Jesus are completely forgiven of all those sins and there's nothing left to pay. Or the other place that the perfect justice is dealt with by Jesus is in the lake of fire or in hell, where all those who have not trusted in Jesus as Savior but are still carrying their sins, they will experience eternal punishment and separation from God and experience the full wrath of God on those sins, on all the injustices that they committed. And so these are the two places in which every sin is dealt with. We can't improve upon that. It's very sobering how God will deal with it. It's very sobering to consider not, not only an eternal hell, 
But that's exactly what Jesus swallowed on the cross for everyone who trusted in him, which is sobering. That's exactly what he swallowed on the cross. That's what he carried on the cross for you and for me, for everyone who trusts in him. And so that's why there's an urgency. This isn't just kind of like, oh, that's kind of neat about Jesus, or it would be kind of helpful or beneficial to trust in that kind of a savior. He's the only savior. There is no other savior who can save like this. If we do not trust in him, the consequences are eternal. And so as we wrap this up, this is, why, this is why Jesus says that not only is he the Lord who reigns forever, he is the one, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, who right now is seated at the right hand of God, and he's coming again. And when he comes, he will rescue and save all those who have put their faith and trust in him, whom he has already saved from their sin and from death. And then he'll physically save and bring us home to be with him. That's what he's coming to do. We don't know when, but he's coming soon. And this is the urgency. Have you trusted in Jesus? Are you banking on another savior? Or are you trusting in this savior, Jesus Christ? We've just walked through his resume. Can you think of a better savior than this? There is none. And so this is what I want us to be asking and praying. Who am I trusting in today? Who am I leaning on? Where am I going with my pain, my anxiety, my sorrow, my sin? Who is your Savior? Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for your word. And we thank you you sent your word in your son, Jesus Christ, who is the perfect Savior. There's no one who's got a CV like you. Lord, I pray that you would help us if we have not put our faith in Christ as our Lord and Savior yet. Move us now. Give us new eyes. Open the eyes of our heart that we may see him as the only Savior. I pray, Lord God, that we would put our faith in him. And if we have trusted in Christ and we are here today as believers and sons and daughters of God, I pray in a fresh way you would spare us from all the little ways that could become quite big in which we get distracted and deceived into trusting other things of this world. Help us come back to you, to lean on you. You are the fountain of living water. You are the bread from heaven. You are the only one that satisfies. Keep us from the trials and temptations of this world. Help us to lean on you alone. In Jesus' name, amen. For more resources or information about Hope Church, visit hopetorontonorth.com.